Hello and welcome to Long Range Sensors, the Star Trek retrospective show where we take a detailed look at an old episode from the final frontier. But of course, this isn't the only Star Trek podcast series we make. There's a bunch more and you can find out all about them over at longrangesensors.com. I'm Trev and joining me as always is a man who has never committed a murder on a starship. It's Alistair. How's it going? (laughs) It's going well. Yeah, it's uh, something that I want to, to keep up with. As a reputation, I think. Yeah, there's a few things in the way of that. I mean, one, being willing to commit a murder, and two, there's no well, starships really at the moment. So, yes, a couple of, couple of big blockers there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not that you should be aiming to get around them in any way, of course. No, no. But, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's plus things and, and minus things to this, uh, as there is with, with many things. So, <laughs> indeed. Mostly minus, mostly minus. Well, today, we're actually picking up a murderer on our long-range sensors. Who isn't me. Yes, thankfully. As we head into the Voyager episode, Meld. Which is a really, really good episode. Yeah. I really like season two. A lot of people don't like... uh, Every time I've watched some kind of general Voyager overview, everyone's like, oh yeah, season two is kind of really one of the worst. But I I really like season two. This is probably one of the best episodes of it. Yeah. If if anything, this highlights, and and we'll get into it a little bit later, but... It highlights some of the things that they were doing in season two that were really good and that I wish they continued with because they were really starting to do an arc with the McKee and then they just kind of dropped all of that and and went more episodic than ever, which was kind of a shame. Well, there's an argument that the the Marquee story arc was kind of over by the ending scene in Caretaker. They'd all put on Starfleet uniforms. It didn't really mean, I guess... The, the next episode, Parallax, they kind of did play on the marquee issue a little bit more in that. Yeah, they were, they were certainly trying to at least still have some dissent amongst the ranks, just to kind of have some internal conflict with things as well. But even though they've kind of been accepted into the crew, there was always supposed to be that little bit of, uh, we're still not quite feeling there. But it's one of those things that I can understand them moving away from that plot point just to move the show forward. Uh, at the same time, there was just little bits in this that we'll get to that just made me think, oh, I kind of wish they'd just done a little bit more before they dropped that thread. Yeah, I mean, I think the the marquee story wasn't handled that great in Voyager generally. I mean, mm. there are lots of ways that they could have done it. I mean, there's an argument that perhaps they could have just been two separate crews that were working together and, you know, they didn't have to put on Starfleet uniforms and everything. And they were just kind of, and there'd be, there'd be whole, you could have whole like episodes where they have big conflicts and, you know, but I guess it is difficult at the same time because you don't really want to have them constantly at their throats. That perhaps would get a bit tiresome as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it could have been better the way they handled the marquee, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. I think because we, we, we meet Lon Suda in this episode and we got a little more Lon Suda, which is good. But again, I think I, I would have wanted more of him. But the episode itself begins yeah. with, with Tom and Harry playing pool. And Tom is brilliant in this. He, he's not really in it much, but for the scenes that he's in, he's starting to try and raise some stakes in this pool game with Harry and they're, they're betting replicator rations. And it immediately just prompts him to start a betting pool to try and guess the number of radiogenic particles that they're studying. So it's kind of like we've got all this stuff that's going to be going on with Tuvok in the episode, but it's like they are studying some phenomenon. You know that the crew are busy doing something else. They gave it a good Star Trek twist, didn't they? Yeah. You know, by making it radiogenic particles. And I think also like Shay Sandrine, Hmm. Um, and I, I really struggled to say that uh, quickly. Um, <laughs> Chez Sandrine, yeah, that that's that uh, that whole like holodeck area that they've that they've been frequenting. I think no, I'm not sure. Did that get established in in the first season or was it early in in uh, the second se- season? Oh, I can't, um, I can't recall. I think it was in the first. I think it was in the first se- season. Oh, actually, um, yes, because it was in Twisted. It was in Twisted, and it was it was in the Cloud. Yeah, which is the third episode of Voyager. So yeah, actually, yeah. 
And then it would sort of just disappear off when we got to the end of season two. Mm. And I think what we got afterwards was, well, it kind of varied, didn't it? We got like the Irish town, the racist um, Irish town. <laughs> and we got the, um, and for a little bit, there was like a beach like place, um, like a pool, like water park almost. Mm. But I think uh, it would be difficult to have lots of fun situations in a pub. So that's probably why it kind of dropped off a little bit. Yeah. But, for the, but you know, it, it is kind of a cool location. It was more for to establish Tom Paris's character, really. Yeah. Um, as he's a guy that hangs out in pubs and is a bit like, you know, a bit of a dark horse and plays pool and all of that stuff. And not only that, but this was really setting the seeds and we get more into it in the episode of his insubordination because they started that whole mini arc. Uh, really, yeah. that, that ends up happening in investigations. And the idea is that it all started around this point. And when you look back, it's like, okay, so you can see that he's deliberately doing things very, very publicly. Yes. To show this kind of streak of his that he was going down. It was a, it was a smart arc, which I, I think was started deliberately here. I, I can't recall if they, if they picked it up on it and just went, let's turn this into this. But I think they actually started it as an actual arc. Yeah, it's actually interesting. It's very kind of Deep Space Nine of them a little bit because obviously yeah. it does get referenced and it pays off a little bit well right at the end of this season. Mm. But yeah, it wasn't really in... Well, see, we, we were having this with Deep Space Nine at this point in time and that was kind of the norm for that series. But in terms of just your standard spaceship-based Star Trek show, you didn't really have little background threads being established that would be picked up in later sh in later um, episodes. No. So that was kind of new. Yeah. Kind of a cool idea, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's again, some of the things that I, I miss about season two is they were really starting to do a lot of that. And then they, they moved away from it, really. Yeah. The Kazon story as well, you know, though they were kind of looking to, it was really so they could get to a climax that so they could move away from the Kazon because they kind of they didn't really turn out as well as they hoped. It's no. kind of were just like low it's, key sort of Klingons. Yeah. Um, it's hard. They always yeah. try and, and outdo the Klingons and when they've done so like with the Ferengi that was terribly received and then they've done so with the Kazon who were better than the Ferengi's introduction but yes the things that they've done with the Ferengi since like the Ferengi are, are still better than the Kazon now as you look back oh yeah yeah easily especially yeah. with their betrayal in Dick Space Nine <laughs> but we, we we start getting into the not really the crux of the episode, but the, the instigation of the episode, which is Hogan finding issues with the warp core and narrows down the problem to the EPS conduits. So Torres goes off to investigate. And meanwhile, Neelix is trying to impress Tuvok in the mess hall on Vulcan holidays because he feels that as the morale officer, morale is important. Morale needs to be processed. Yeah, and, and Tuvok yeah. completely disagrees. He feels that it's unimportant to Vulcans. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is actually a bit annoying. Neelix <laughs> should be able to just realise that Vulcans suppress their emotions, and yeah. and that's fine. You know, they're not bothered about it. No, it doesn't affect anybody else. He's just incessantly nagging him to, to laugh and do things, which, yeah, you know, it's... doesn't benefit him at all or anyone else. He needs to just drop it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a love-hate relationship I have with early Neelix because he was yeah. so annoying like persistently annoying to people this episode just happens to be written really well yes, and so yes. the lines actually are comedic and so i do enjoy him especially in this scene but it was typical of early neelix to just be constantly going on with, with things and, and, and this is a perfect example of the writing that they they talk about rumory this this ancient vulcan pagan festival and Neelix thinks it'd be a great idea because it's full of barely clothed Vulcan men and women covered in slippery relin grease. Yeah. And they're all chasing one another. Which sounds amazing, yeah. I know, I know. And, and, and Tuvok's like, well, that's not being observed for over a millennium. Well, it's time to bring it back. <laughs> just typical Neelix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, he, he comes across just a bit of... Uh, he is an, an obnoxious character at the, uh, yeah. at the best of times, but... He does come across as just um, very inflexible and stubborn, and you feel bad for Tuvok. And it, you know yeah. what? It's a bit of an ongoing thing with Star Trek where everybody's always annoyed that the Vulcan isn't showing emotion when that's just the way they are. Mm. You know, it's kind of borderline racism in the original series with Dr. McCoy. You know, obviously it's kind of way hand-waved away as just him bantering. But, um, you know, it, it, it got a bit tiresome already at this point. You know, Vulcans, oh, they're so unemotional. Let's, let's make them smile. It's like... <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I always found it a bit annoying. Yeah. So I, I feel for Tuvok here, and it just makes makes Neelix come across as a bit of a dick. Yeah, it does have a payoff later on. Yes. A- again, th- this this is where it's kind of forgivable in this episode, but in the moment, absolutely. It just, just drop it. I mean, in a way, it's almost like he's wanting Tuvok's approval because he's wanting to plan this rumory mess hall theme as well and just say, like, if people want to take off their clothes and chase one another, it certainly wouldn't hurt morale around here. And yeah. I think Neelix is probably also just dealing with the fact that he is this morale officer and he's not done a good job. Maybe he's overcompensating a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know he did about his knowledge of the Delta Quadrant to begin with. Yeah. Like I said, it's, the scene is probably really here to foreshadow a scene later on. Yeah. But it may, it does make it a bit... He just comes across as just annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but Tuvok leaves and he goes to engineering, and that's just before we cut to the, the main titles. Torres shows him a dead body in an EPS conduit. Which is quite grim. Yeah, yeah. So... We, we come into the episode after the titles kind of thinking like, okay, well, who's the killer? Is this going to be a murder mystery? That's kind of how it sets itself up. Yes. Uh, we find out that there's, there's third degree plasma burns on the victim and Tuvok comes up with all sorts of reasons as to why it could have been an accident and stuff. But the doctor's kind of pointing that, that Kuman Darwin uh, was 100% murdered. And I love that it's Kuman Darwin. It's like, it wasn't like a Darwin Award situation. He didn't just accidentally make a mistake yeah, and kill exactly. himself through stupidity <laughs> <laughs> he actually got killed so exactly i mean that's that, that, that i mean surely you would call like someone that did accidentally get themselves killed in the star trek episode i mean darwin would be a good name for them i guess right <laughs> so they missed yeah. a trick there really yeah yeah then we switch to the ready room and tuvok is really struggling to find a motive and this becomes this becomes the crux of the episode as to there being no motive yeah they kind of find that Suda was the last person there, so he's like the main suspect, and he's he's a Betazoid McKee member, which is really interesting, because we, other than Troy, we do, haven't really seen many Betazoids. Yeah, that was an interesting choice, that they would make, like, someone that's actually a kind of a very, you know, dark character, a Betazoid, who, as far as we know up to this point, are fairly happy-go-lucky kind of people. Yeah. You know, they get married naked, and... Very passionate people, as well. Very passionate pe- people, emotional, um, sort of sweet and melancholy and whimsical and, and nice. Can be quite quite obnoxious as well with, with Luoxano, um, who is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you wouldn't really, th- you know, an obvious choice would be like some disgruntled Bajoran, you know, who's already killed, lo- you know, loads of people because he's in the marquee and hates, like, you know, what happened to him in, on, uh, you know, just the Kardashian occupation. That would have been like an obvious choice, perhaps. But yeah, Betazoid, who doesn't really clearly have any, you know, hasn't really got any reason to be a murderer. I think that's a really, really good choice. Yeah, and he's he's described kind of as the quiet type. And they don't really know much about him because, as Torres points out, the McKee didn't really ask for resumes. They just needed all the help they could get and people would be doing it to protect their families and stuff. They didn't really know what Suda's reasons were for joining the McKee. And it... It's evidently, as we find out, that he enjoyed killing people, and that's a good excuse to be able to do so. Yeah. And even Chikori had to pull him back at times, and he knew that he was just like an inch away from being killed himself. I mean, it does raise a few questions about, you know, there's probably certain um, marquee crew members that probably weren't suitable just to become Starfleet officers. I mean, I know there's the practicality of, well, what do we do with those guys? Do we lock them up? But... At the same time, maybe you shouldn't really just have them just be knocking around as a normal member of the crew. But then, I don't think I think I think it's established that Chakotay didn't really mention about his homicidal tendencies, really, to yeah. an extent that would raise suspicions. But yeah, yeah. Well, he he said that he didn't want to make it things harder for the as they were already trying to integrate with the crew, which you know is completely fair. And and Sudo was doing his job, so he's like, well, what's what is there to mention? I guess, um, you know, as well, he wasn't, I guess he, he wasn't considered to be murdering people in the marquee. He was just, you know, carrying out missions that might involve him to kill some someone. Mm. So perhaps you could you could use that as a way of getting around it a little bit. You know, he wasn't murdering. He didn't murder anybody, you know, when, when he was working for me. He was obviously, there were missions that where there was dark stuff having to happen, but it was only ever in those missions that that would happen. So I didn't think he would try and kill anyone on, on the ship. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you can get around it. That's it. And Tuvok questions him, and he's, he's saying no to murder, and that just because he's a McKee doesn't make him a killer. 
And he brings up that Tuvok would be a more likely victim because he was undercover. And so that would be more of a, a motive. Yeah. It betrayed like the Marquis crew, yeah. basically. And, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and also talking about how Tuvok hates the Marquis and how that would be like a vengeance thing and stuff. And, and he's saying yeah. no to all the questions like he's got no criminal records. There was no relationship issues. There was no hatred towards him. But the doctor finds DNA strands retrieved from inside the head wound that didn't belong to the victim. And Tuvok's like, are you certain? And the doctor, who has some brilliant lines in this, is like, DNA doesn't know how to lie, Lieutenant. This whole scene is great. It's like, it takes yeah. like real science, you know, real investigative, forensic investigation stuff that we, you know, are used in real life and really like makes, it's just like, it's, it's, it's displayed well. It's, it's um, discussed well. Um, hmm. It's just a really good use of real world stuff here to yeah. you know to get to point the field to point the finger at pseudo yeah. Plus, it's also like we've got all this technology, and it's a lot easier to determine all this forensic stuff. Yes. So Tuvok straight in there saying to pseudo like, "I must advise you that under Starfleet Directive One Hundred One, you do not have to answer any questions." And pseudo decides to just ignore that and starts saying, "There's no point in denying it anymore," and goes on to say that he used a two kilo coil spanner. So he, he's making his confession and we're 12 minutes into the episode. So, yeah. the, you know, and this is why I, I haven't minded us just mentioning it to anybody who's not even seen the episode yet, that he's the killer, because they point that out very early on. So it's suddenly not a murder mystery like it was in Eye of the Beholder in The Next Generation, where there was like a suicide and they're trying to investigate, or was it suicide or murder? That This is straight up, we know who the killer is, all the evidence is there. Yeah, yeah. And then we get to Tuvok really struggling with this. Yeah, and it's also like, we've got to mention as well, the actor playing Suda is a famous oh, yeah. sort of actor from a lot of movies like um, psychological thriller movies and horror movies and, and monster mo movies and stuff. Brad yeah. Dorif. Yep. He is brilliant um, in this episode. Just oh yeah, the, the, he's not he's not a stereotypical like homicidal maniac. He's cold. He's calculating. He's very dispassionate. He's mm. not. He hasn't got anger issues. He doesn't really display any emotion really. In, uh, but not in a way that you know it's boring to watch him. He is he completely steals this episode on his own. Yeah, and that's why it was great that he comes back in later in the season. But yeah, he's brilliant in, in in this. Yeah, I mean, he he was fantastic as the voice of Chucky in the Chucky films. Yeah, yeah. I think that probably the the episode that's most like this, but perhaps a bit more crazy, is his appearance in the Frighteners. Yes, yeah. You know where he had that kind of thing there, and he was also in uh, one of the Alien films as well. Alien Resurrection, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so if you've seen any of those, you get like a good sense of what he's like here. He's uh, very underrated, this... I, I think, as well, yeah. Very underrated yeah. actor, and it's great that we got him in Star Trek, yeah. yeah. And playing I... a perfect character for him to play. Oh, it is, yeah. And I, this is why I wish there was more <laughs> of him in it. Yeah, yeah. So I do like what they did with the, with the characters they had him. But I mean, he's even there, like, there was practically no blood. I was surprised at that. Like, just... It, it's just so cold and just there's not really any emotion behind it as such. And he's realizing that he likely just damaged the EPS conduit when he was hiding the body. But Tuvok wants to know why he killed him. He doesn't feel it's a satisfactory answer. Yeah. Uh, feeling that he should have had some motive. And it's not even a question that's posed. It's more just you must have had some motive. Well, he wants, like, um, as a Vulcan, he wants everything to fall nicely, you know, all, all, all like, you know, the round, round pegs and round holes. Everything should just fall into, that's what reality is. Yeah. Um, things should just land logically. But Suda doesn't have any motivation at all. Yeah. So that absolutely baffles Tuvok. And that is an interesting, you know, it's just an interesting exploration of, you know, where Vulcan logic can sometimes hit a brick wall. Mm. And it really does here, and Tuvok just can't find a way around it. It's an interesting yeah. sort of conundrum for him. And from this point on, like, it becomes very obvious as to kind of what's happening, but you're kind of there for the journey. You're there for the exploration of this entire kind of thing, because you, you have him talking to the doctor about how a crime must have a logical purpose. And, and to your point, you know, the doctor even points out that to close the case without the logic of a crime for Vulcan, that would be a dilemma, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also the episode generally, you know, we're also going to, when we dive further into later on in the episode, it's, it's I mean, Tim Ross is brilliant as a uh, Tuvok. Mm. He's up there with Leonard Nimoy in portraying Vulcans. And uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy basically wrote the book on it, but Tuvok is, 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 is brilliant in this episode. And it's probably the episode so far that has given him, I mean, in, in um, the, the episode with, where he's training the, the marquee cadets, um, yeah. I've forgotten the name, name, uh, name, name of the episode now. But um, that was kind of a development episode for him, but it comes across as a bit of a dick in that for no reason. But this, he's like, the amount of growth he goes through and trials and tribulations, really, that he goes through in this mm. episode is like, you know, a whole season's worth almost. So, yeah. And he's great. Tim Russ is great in this episode. Yeah. He's even used the outburst scene that he has later in the episode as part of his demo reel to just show off his acting skills. And yeah, yeah. fair play to him because it is a phenomenal performance in this one. One, one, yeah. of, one of his best out of the entire series, really. Absolutely. Yeah. There's also an interesting talk just about personality types because he's not psychotic. He doesn't have bipolar disorder. There's nothing else weird going on. It's just that he has aggressive tendencies, perhaps a little bit more just because he's betazoid. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, a thing like that that we would have thought of in headcanon would be like, oh yeah, well he can just go in the holodeck, surely, and just like murder people on there, and that'll be the same, right? They do address that, and he literally says that you know it doesn't do anything for me. It has to yeah. be a real a real person. So that mm. was um you know that was dismissed straight away as you know a way that someone could get around that in the twenty fourth century. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's uh, something like it doesn't provide the same satisfaction, which is a yes. interesting way of putting it. Very disturbing thing to hear as well. Yeah. And the doctor even points out that the readings that they were getting from him are no different, really, from those of the other McKee crewmen, and that it takes a certain type of personality type to be attracted to the life of an outlaw, which the McKee are very like-minded in a lot of ways, yes. you know, and they, they yeah. pull on people who share that kind of viewpoint. And in, in a way, we see that even in, in real life with, uh, with certain groups, that certain types of people will be swayed to some extremes. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of explores that, that it doesn't mean that there's anything psychologically wrong. It's just that's the type of person that they are and uh, can be easily swayed to, to do stuff. It's just an interesting way to portray a murderer. You know, they haven't given yeah. him any kind of big, you know, obvious thing that would turn him into a, you know, someone that would want to kill people. It's just, um, it's just a really like original way of portraying. And, also, and it fits with the 24th century a little bit. I know yeah. with Star Trek Picard, you know, people have issues with Raffi being a drug addict and an alcoholic, which from what we've seen, uh, uh, you know, elsewhere in, in Star Trek uh, in the 24th century, shouldn't, people shouldn't really turn into alcoholics and drug addicts. You know, there's no reason for you to do that in a post-scarcity society. So this actually makes sense why someone could be a murderer in the 24th century because, you know, their DNA is kind of, unfortunately, given them this little quirk that could yep. trigger it. And you completely agree. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to quote the doctor, all of us have violent instincts. We, we have evolved from predators. Although I do love his little quip where he says, well, not me, of course. I've just been programmed by you violent predators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another bit of dark, weird, dark humor that they still managed to fit in in yeah. an episode like of this kind. Yeah. Yeah. But pointing out that obviously Tuvox had that buried under hundreds, if not thousands of years of control. So he's a lot better with it. And I know that Michael Piller, who helped write the episode, um, along with Sussman, I think it was Sussman's first one, uh, they were kind of looking at how it's hard to understand why somebody would kill. You know, when you see it yeah, on the news, yeah. like, you know, what what's in that person's mind to perform whatever kind of murder it is. And so this really is just the pinnacle of Tuvok's issue with this entire thing. And, and, and Sud is just feeling that he's lucky that the Federation doesn't execute people. Because he, he feels that if he was in Janeway's position, that's what he would be doing. Is he would uh, it would be death penalty? Yeah, yeah. As as a fitting thing, and I think this is the point where the episode really clicks for me. I don't know for for yourself, but Tuvok walks out, and then he stops in the corridor and he turns around and comes back in, and then just reiterates like it is important that I understand why you killed Mister Darwin. And this is when he offers the idea of a mind melt, which Suda's understanding of it is it's that Vulcan thing where you grab someone's head <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah fun way of putting it their face or something yeah the way yeah. it delivers it as well is very dry yeah. and kind of almost humorous in a weird way hmm. again brad Dorf is just brilliant with even these most banal lines 
Yeah. I mean, the two blocks just can't process how this person can murder someone. It's like it's broke his logic yeah. in, 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 in a way, yeah. Yeah, and there's a little bit of an agreement that they're trying to make. You know, Tuvok's trying to suggest that a mind meld could be helpful. Yeah. Suda doesn't recommend it. He thinks it's a very bad idea, but they try to come to an agreement. So it's not forced, but they, you know, it's, they, they are looking for consent from each other, really. Yeah. Especially as Tuvok feels it will help suppress Suda's violent instincts. And I think that's what he kind of makes him go, okay, I'll give that a try then. Because obviously nothing else he's done has, has worked. He's not had an outlet to deal with this stuff like he did when he was with the McKee. So it's worth a, a shot. Also seen like probably in the next gen episode, Sarek. Yeah. Where, you know, a Vulcan mind meld, you retain some of the traits of the other person. Sometimes that can be an advantage as it was in that episode mm. where like Sarek suffering from a disease that was helping making him like lose, become very emotional. Um, he sort of briefly sort of inherited Picard's control when he mind melded with him. So it's kind of just following up from that sort of, and, and then the mind melded kind of become more established as to what it does over the ensuing years that we first saw it in the original series. Yeah. Yeah. Plus we, we kind of know that for Vulcans, it's, it's one thing for them to do it biologically with other Vulcans for a meld with a human that was kind of okay. There was a little bit of risk involved, but they are rolling the dice with any species that they try and meld with. And with the Betazoids, this is where this is a really interesting choice because they are telepathic as well. And so really the stakes are so much higher. And yes, you see yeah. the the, out, the outcome of that. Yeah, and again, it's, it's just great development of Betazoids as well. I mean, we've already mentioned that we, you know, we kind of know them as being fairly happy-go-lucky, but we also know there was the character in Tin Man. There was a different yeah. type of Betazoid who had a, a, a where he sort of the ability from to sense other people's thoughts came too early for him as a child, and it kind of caused you know him to basically freak out from from that and sort of end up being shunned from society a little bit. So this is very mm. interesting how they're developing Betazoids in this episode. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we haven't really seen anybody mind meld with anybody other than kind of humans, really, or other Vulcans. So it's just kind of throwing it out there that it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all affair. But, you know, Tuvok is kind of like throwing caution to the wind now, which is an interesting aspect of his character that you wouldn't really have thought um, hmm. he had from what we've seen so far in Voyager. I think it's just going to drive him crazy just not knowing why, because it's just breaking all form of logic for him, and he can't... Yeah. <laughs> that, that's worse. I think it's like, it's worth the risk just to get an answer to this. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, meanwhile, Paris is after an answer of his own, because he's got 16 replicator rations on the table in the Paris radiogenic sweepstakes, and... The computer announces that there are no winners today. And I love that he's obviously programmed the computer for this because the computer goes, try your luck again. Tomorrow you could be a winner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that's a nice touch. <laughs> yeah. Kim's obviously figuring out what's going on because he's like, the only person who wins every day is you. Because everyone has to put in, to put in some replicator rations just to get into the sweepstakes. So, you know, yeah, he's getting yeah. a nice little buildup of those every day. It's building friction between Paris and Kim, which we haven't really seen that much of. And this is before they're firmly established as like best buds. It comes across as a bit selfish as well from Paris. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe it's part of him, you know, being a bit undercover at the moment yes. and trying to get himself in trouble. But yeah, we don't know that at this point in time. So you're like, oh, that's a bit of a dick move. But yeah, yeah. it's Paris. He's kind of a, you know, a, kind of just a, one of the lads and... He's kind of got his boyish kind of rebellion sort of aspect mm. to his character. So you kind of dismiss it as perhaps just being that. Yeah. And you know what? It gives a nice lighthearted break. You know, it, it gives you just that breather you need with all this really tense stuff going on between Tuvok and Suda. It's it's very welcome. Yes. To go to these seats. Yeah. It's actually a decent B story, really. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't like, you know, slow down the episode or, or, or detract too much. Yeah. Yeah. And you get in a sense of what's going on with the rest of the crew whilst all this is happening without really having to focus on the rest of the crew. Exactly. And it's, uh, it just establishes what they do in their spare time a bit more <laughs> yeah. than just, you know, at, at, like that them being off duty effectively. You get an, an idea of what that's like for the crew. Yeah. One thing I do have to mention mm. uh, as well. Paris, what he has with his replicator rations does sound amazing. Um, oh, yeah. He has prime rib <laughs> with mashed potatoes, cream spinach, and a Yorkshire pudding, and, and a Roctogino. Oh, gotta so, love a good Yorkshire pudding. 
Yorkshire pudding. I mean, that's amazing that it got, I don't know what, um, obviously in Canada, I don't know what Yorkshire, if you have Yorkshire pudding or if it's called something else. Uh, it's not something I see around it. Like, to my knowledge, it's not a common thing. Yeah, so it's interesting that they uh, they added that particular f- bit of food um, into Paris's little line there. So um, yes, it's a very yeah, eclectic yeah. selection of dishes that he's yes. getting in his rations, uh, which is but good. kind of a bit kind of Tom Paris like at the same time, <laughs> yes. isn't it? In a weird way. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I was picturing that meal. I was like, oh my god, I could totally have mm. all of that. <laughs> Tuvok is then speaking with Janeway, and this is when they're talking about having no outlet for the violence uh, and so on. And and Tuvok pointing out that Suda is prepared to die for his crime. And he feels that having him locked away isn't really suitable under these extenuating circumstances and that the death penalty would be good, which Janeway completely disagrees with. She thinks confinement to his quarters is by far the best kind of thing for this. But Tuvok is certainly... Seeming very disconcerted after his meld. But yes, Tuvok, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not just Tuvok that's terrible because we've got Neelix being Neelix again. But this point, he's getting really, really obnoxious to the point that Tuvok's like, what must I do to convince you to stop? Because he's kind of going around going, oh, go on, give us an itty bitty smile and, and really trying to provoke him. Uh, and then Tuvok oh, yeah. does what I think we all kind of want to do at that moment, which is just to strangle him. Yeah, this is this is a great great scene. Obviously, it's the payoff to the scene that we had earlier yeah. that we've already mentioned was a, was foreshadowing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's 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 kind of um, horrifying mm. to see. I mean, not not because it's a member of the crew killing another one, but obviously it's Tuvok. You know, a Vulcan. You know, they don't need to resort to violent outbursts. So to see him do this, I think mean, you probably twig that this isn't quite a real s- situation. Yeah. Knowing Star Trek as well as you would might do watching it but it's still just it's just for as a, as a character moment for Tuvok it's kind of shocking yeah and you, you've got him just kind of you know as you're kind of alluding to he ends the holodeck program because it is a simulation and we know from this like we've already kind of said that for Suda using the holodeck isn't suitable it doesn't give the same satisfaction yeah. and obviously he's finding the same thing I also love the fact that he was inspired by how annoying Neelix was to write a program to have Neelix be annoying yeah. to the point that he wants to snap his neck. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, he could have had this for, for months. <laughs> they might just be this that triggered this. He might do it quite a lot. This, this is insurrection um, beta where he's, uh, yeah. he, you know, you've got a whole thing about yeah, exactly. a possible insurrection from the McKee and then just another one, like a possible insurrection from Neelix. And just how do we deal with Neelix if he becomes too much? Here's a training simulation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's kill kill Neelix dot, dot exe. <laughs> Security um, team have yeah. to be prepared for any situation, including Neelix being Neelix. I mean, it is quite he is super obnoxious. I mean, he's literally grabbing like you know practically Tuvok's mouth to try and make him smile. Yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, most, perhaps some of us don't blame him for for, for strangling him. But when well, we've seen this um, a little bit already, like in, in like people like exercising frustrations and urges on uh, the holodeck, and Data was doing it when he killed that Borg. Hmm when Law was sort of sending him, you know, negative sort of emotions in descent in TNG, kind of a similar scenario there. And Data was trying to recreate that moment to see if he can kind of get an idea of why he did it and try and recreate, see if he can have those emotions come back to him, but it didn't really work in that case either. So yeah, it's, it's actually happened once before, but this is, it's far more effective here. Oh, definitely. And, and because we've just watched a main character just get murdered by another favorite main character, we're back to small sweepstakes, just to lighten the mood. But this time Chakotay shuts it down because we've got a senior officer running a gambling operation and skimming profits from each day's proceeds. And yeah. so there's a whole thing about how Starfleet would have a problem with that. But as we said, this is all part of uh, you know the stuff that leads into investigations later on down the line. I reckon there was a deleted scene where um, there was a spike in energy levels in the replicators when Paris replicated the Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> So they had to like investigate it and then eventually they found what Paris is doing. So I think the Yorkshire pudding was probably the um, the smoking gun there. I, I think uh, less smoking gun and just too much gravy. <laughs> yeah. You probably just replicate too much gravy for it and uh, just, just took it over the ration limits. <laughs> Imagine that you just exceed your ration limits again. I need more gravy. Um, All the lights went down in Voyager when that Yorkshire pudding was being pumped out of the replicator, you know, so yeah. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, Tuvok's checking in on Suda. And Suda is able to suppress all this stuff, but Tuvok clearly cannot. He's definitely taken the rough side of this whole mind meld deal. And this is when we find out that the holographic violence just isn't giving the same satisfaction. And Suda has tried other things. He's tried some form of neurotherapy and stuff. And Suda's really kind of intrigued by how Tuvok's responding. Because he's talking about yeah. how studying and knowing violence are different things and how it can be attractive. And I think that he's probably trying to also get validation in himself by trying to see that Tuvok is feeling that. Also, in a way, helping Tuvok through it and helping Tuvok understand and perhaps get that whole answer that Tuvok was after in the first place. But it's just a very well-crafted bit of dialogue between them. Yeah, it's kind of a therapy session for Tuvok, just as much as it is, well, more so than it is for Suda. Mm. Suda's not getting anything out of this conversation. And this is really Tuvok just trying to help himself out. And Suda kind of is in a weird way. Yeah. And you can see there's now kind of a connection between them. Yeah. You know, and perhaps Suda actually kind of kind of cares about him in, in, a, in a twisted way mm. a little bit. Um, you can see that kind of developing in in, in this scene. Yeah. And, and there's also like a bit where he's kind of aligning with him because he's kind of pointing out that in a way, a mind meld is almost an act of violence in itself. And we have seen yeah. that it can be used in that way. Yeah. Star Trek six, I think is probably the biggest example mm. with, um, so it's Solaris. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things that kind of hits home. It's like, you know, what you've done is also an act of violence in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, way to frame a mind meld because, and it really is, you know, if it's without consent, sometimes it can be almost like a mind violation, yeah. which, it, which we saw in kind of Star Trek VI. So it was kind of, you know, the, the ends justified the means in that scenario. Mm. It's really an interesting way of looking at, at it. Yeah. We also have Janeway stopping by Tuvok's quarters. And we, we've seen this before where Janeway will, will check in on Tuvok. And I think this is probably the one of the worst moments he's been in when she's had to stop by to check on her friend because his quarters are trashed yeah and it's completely dark yeah he's just hiding in the shadows he's been counting i think it was like 94 different ways of killing somebody which is i mean why i mean it's amazing that he would even the way the fact that he says that yeah is just so sinister and, and and scary but he delivers it in the deadpan vulcan way yeah which adds a, a different layer of kind of creepiness to it. Yeah. yeah, you almost feel like it could be a threat. He does kind of point yeah. out when, when he's saying that he doesn't want to go to sick bay, he then relents but recommends that he gets sedated before they transport him there. It's like, don't take me there, beam me there and sedate me so that I don't injure the crew, so I don't become uh, a safety issue. Which is also a very, like, boring Vulcan thing to say, <laughs> you know, yeah. mel mixed in with this weird, horrible scenario that we're, we're witnessing, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, because, I mean, he's got this neurochemical imbalance, right? And the Doctor, I, I, I love... See, again, I, I think Robert Picardo probably gets some of the best lines in this episode. In terms of the quality versus uh, quantity... Like he's uh, pretty much everything that he's given is, is gold because he, he starts pointing out the Vulcan mind melds are just utter foolishness. Yeah. The, I mean, the, the, the writers clearly enjoy writing for the doctor. Yeah. A lot of the best lines throughout the show often fall on him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's brilliant. Robert Picardo's brilliant as well. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things you, you, you're kind of all in on Vulcan mind melds. It's fascinating. But to just offer your mind to somebody else and to let them fully in, like nobody really wants that. You like the no. you, you like seeing a Vulcan mind meld, but you would never really want to have one. So yes, yeah. uh, this kind of points all of that out. And how do you, how do you feel about this scene? Because this is when they start to remove his emotional suppression abilities. And Kez even says later on that she's even disabled his telepathic abilities, and he's he's got this cortical stimulators or or some or neurological stimulators on his temples that they're obviously doing to do this, but. It almost feels more for the convenience of the plot than something really that we see that often. Yeah, the science behind it is very vague. Yeah. So, I mean, you're kind of thinking to yourself, what, so they could just press a few buttons and you can turn off a Vulcan's, you know, um, ability to block their emotions and also their telepathy? Yeah. I mean, what is actually doing that? Is uh, is is some, like, chemical being released into the sick bay where he's beyond a force field that 
you know, changes some like chemical imbalances in his brain, which is what actually switches those things on and off. Mm. And then the fact you can just switch that stuff on and off. Obviously, it's the 24th century, so the technology is really good with, you know, brain stuff probably would be amazing at that point in time. But it's not really explained. It's kind of hand-waved away as just being part of a generic process. Mm. To, it was a treatment that they that the doctor found and looked up. So perhaps the Vulcans, de- obviously, I guess the Vulcans developed it, and he's just re- reproducing it here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's not really, it's a bit janky, and you have to kind of headcanon it a little bit to fill in the gaps. Yeah, I found it just a, a bit far-fetched, perhaps, that they yeah. can just press a few buttons and do all this crazy, like, brain stuff with a Vulcan remotely over Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, the scene is brilliant. That's it. I mean, it goes really sinister and, like, kind of scary. Um, it's very reminiscent of the Deep Space Nine episode, um, Facets. Yes. When Cisco has um, one of Chad Zia's previous hosts, mm. the murderous one, I've forgotten the name, inhabit him. And he's behind a force field talking to Dax and a really good performance from Avery Brooks that's also really creepy and ends in a very similar way. Yeah. Lower the force field, Jadzia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And it ends in a very similar way where he's kind of headbutting the force field and knocks himself out. Yeah. Which is basically what happens here. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't really affect the scene too much about the whole they just compress some switches and his brain does this or whatever they want to do very easily. It is very contrived where they have a countdown. Like, you know, all of his stuff will come back to normal within 10, 9, it gives, like, it does add some jeopardy to it. Yeah. But again, you're like, why Why? Why does it take a very specific amount of time for this stuff to kick in? <laughs> why is it buffering over the Wi-Fi? Yeah. Is it, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a little bit janky and a little bit vague, the science behind this process that they're doing to him. But it's still a good scene because Tim Russ's performance is amazing. Very creepy, very sinister. And when he says, like, you know, you are not invulnerable either, hologram, you know, a few choice oh, yeah. words to the computer and I can erase you, which is, like, again, delivered in, in like, a deadpan Vulcan way, but with real, like, malice behind it, without there being malice behind it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just brilliant. It's a brilliant scene. It is. And we, we get to see a fully emotional Vulcan, like, which we, we haven't really seen outside of Ponfar. And no. he feels strong, he feels powerful, he feels euphoric, you know, and, and he wants to kind of study this primal Vulcan behavior that is coming out. You know, you're going to get to see what Vulcans are really like without all of those logic barriers in place for that emotion. The way Tim, Tim Ross is doing it, he's not yeah. exaggerating or being like super upbeat or like, you know, he's not being like Cybok, mm. who's like laughing and like, you know, being jovial and everything. He's not doing any of that. I mean, he's being a bit more kind of, I don't know, he's kind of got more of a spring in his step, but yeah. he's not being ob- obnoxious or exaggerating or laughing or anything. He's done it in a really interesting way. Where he feels free. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it is like a sense of freedom that he's he's expressing. And It's probably the best Tuvok scene in the entire series. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would and, say. And yeah. no wonder, like we said, Tim Russ would put it in his demo reel because, oh, yeah. my, my God. And like, to the point that he's even telling Janeway that she's wrong for sparing Suda's life. And this is where we get like a really intriguing insight into kind of how he feels as a Vulcan, which in a way, even though this came out before Enterprise, you can kind of look at Enterprise and, and tie everything back to that chronologically because he points out, you disgust me, all humans do. And there's still that resentment yeah. that some Vulcans have against humanity. Yeah, obviously, you know, T'Pol was kind of an outlet for that quite a lot in, in, in the early sort of seasons of Enterprise. Yeah. But yeah, again, he's delivering it in a mostly deadpan way, which adds to the whole sinisterness and the aura of just creepiness oh, around Tuvok at this point in time. And the sinister smug grin he gives when he tells them to release the force field and that he'll kill Suda for them. Yeah. He's very, very sinister. But he's explaining it in a logical way. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't have him locked up for 75 years. He's, he's, he's effectively useless <laughs> as a person. Yeah. And he's agreed to die. You might as well just kill him. That's not me being, I love killing people. It's just logic has dictated that, yeah. you know. So he almost has a, a solid argument mm. for doing it here. Yeah. yeah. It's like he's just going to be here living on benefits. He's just going to be on welfare the whole time. Effectively. You, using you, up all of our resources, he, which are limited right now. Yeah. Yeah, he literally spells it out the logic behind it, and it kind of makes sense, which is obviously a horrible thing to contemplate. But mm. yeah, 
Yeah. And, and as you said, like he tries to breach the force field and then he loses consciousness. Uh, they don't know how many treatments it will take. The doctor describes it as like a battle that's waging between good and evil and could be won in an hour, a day, a year, or, or never. And if they did it more like DS9, they could have extended this over a few more episodes. We know that there's not long left in the episode, so it's likely to be wrapped yes. up relatively quickly uh, with the way that yep. Voyager's plots are. But it's still, you're not sure exactly how it will all end. You might have to, like, again, you'll have to headcanon, you know. I mean, I don't know how long the next episode takes place after this one. Probably a matter of days, maybe weeks. But, yeah, you'd have to assume behind the scenes he's going through treatment. But Voyager does like to smash the reset button, and it kind of does, really, yeah. by the time we hit the next episode. So, yeah, that's kind of a shame we didn't get explored uh, a bit more. At least they don't reset it fully with Suda. Because no. he, he at least still retains some of the, the meld experience that he's had with Tuvok and he, he sort of continues with that which we kind of get yeah. into in a short moment uh, but before that Tuvok then does confront Sudo he manages to find him and, and and discusses how he plans to execute him for his crime which he knows that Sudo is kind of on board for as well but Sudo also points out that calling it that makes it easier for Tuvok by calling it an execution when really he's he's just wanting to murder it as well and Suda is willing to die, but he questions whether Tuvok is actually ready to kill. Yeah, Two yeah. very different things. And so there's this whole question of, you know, is it to serve justice or for vengeance? And Suda, obviously talking from experience, and I mean, we've this comes up a lot in all sorts of media, not just Star Trek, but anything where somebody is wanting to murder somebody for vengeance, it's the fact that that vengeance isn't going to silence any demons. You know, you can't control the violence because the violence will just control you. So it's like, once you go down that path, you're just going to keep doing it and it's just going to get worse. And this is just kind of a unique way of telling that bit of morality. Yeah, and you also, you know, when he kind of goes to, to see Suda, I mean, you kind of don't really know what's going to happen at this point. Mm. You think anything can happen. Suda's just a one-off character, so it's possible that he could actually get murdered yep. by Tuvok. So yeah, it is genuinely kind of, you know, you're really sucked into... Um, knowing what's going to happen here because of what you've just seen in sickbay. It's a little bit silly how he gets out of sickbay. It's the usual, like, he's pull a gadget out of, a, you know, was it his communicator that he adapted or he broke out a very um, easy way. Oh, well, it's... That happens yeah, a lot in Star Trek. Well, because Tuvok forces a meld, and, and this kind of goes back to the fact that a meld can be an act of violence as well. And you look at Suda's face and you can't tell if he's looking euphoric or if he's just kind of like, oh God, I'm dying. It's hard to tell because you think maybe that's it. But Tuvok's the one who actually ends up collapsing. So Suda yeah. gets his combat and he messages the bridge and Chakotay, I love Chakotay's delivery on this because he's like, Suda, what are you doing with a combat? It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. much confusion. It's like, why do you have one? What what the hell yeah. is this? It's uh, Yeah. It's kind of charming as well, like how he kind of cradles him. Yeah. You know, he kind of cradles Tuvok. It shows that he does kind of care about him, like we sort of mentioned a bit earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously they've just had another meld, so, you know, who knows how that's affected brain chemistry a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. All, all we know is that Tuvok's in sickbay recovering and apologizing to Janeway for his behavior and talking about how he's, even though he's just said that humanity disgusts him and especially Janeway does as well, that he does have the utmost respect and considers her a friend. And, you know, it doesn't really affect things too much for them long-term. But after thanking him for that and saying to get some rest, she walks off and then stops and turns, just kind of like how Tuvok did earlier on as well. But then just kind of points out to him, you know, no more mind melds without my permission. Understood. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of where it ends. And I don't think I recall him ever asking her permission to meld with anyone after this episode. I don't think, apart from, you know, when we see Suda again in the season finale, we don't really get any more development on um, what happened to Tuvok here at all. No. Again, it's that kind of Voyager smash the reset button syndrome. <laughs> um, yep. It does end quite, quite abruptly, but, you know, not in an annoying way. You know, there was a little bit moment of levity at the end between Janeway and Tuvok, which kind of helped raise the sort of tone a little bit and ease you out of the darkness of the rest of the episode. But yeah, it's it's a probably might be the one the best episode of season two. Mm -hmm. um, although I do like the season finale. 
I do like basics. Like, just generally, a lot of people like hate that episode, but I, I, I quite like it. Well, watching this again made me really want to go back yeah. and watch basics again. Yeah, I think Meld is brilliant. Although, an interesting fact, this is the next episode after Threshold. So, our first episode, the way we reviewed the absolutely bonkers episode of Voyager Threshold, this came straight after. So, can you believe these two back-to-back? You know, <laughs> you're watching a marathon of Star Trek and you get, like, to Threshold. And you think, oh, this is ridiculous. What's happening to Voyager? Then you see Meld straight after. You're like, oh, my God, that was amazing. That's kind of an interesting little <laughs> sequence of episodes there. It kind of makes up for the big downer and, and like, what the hell was that that you just experienced? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, but what I'm going to do, um, I've mentioned in previous Long Range Census episodes about there's this book that I like to read called Beyond the Final Frontier, and it has reviews of every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to dive into it right now and just let's just see what it says about this episode. So... What they say for Meld is Brad Dorif is always good value as a SF loony, science, science fiction loony, and he helps make this episode really rather entertaining. Tuvok's sheer incomprehension at Suda's irrational violence is well played. The holodeck Neelix scene cheats the audience, though. Um, and that's the review. <laughs> cheats the audience. Like, we wanted Neelix to be end, dead yeah. for real. Is, uh, yeah, is how he feels. it's kind of a weird comment. That, that's the point. <laughs> um, it's supposed to cheat you, but he's not going to really kill him. Mm. <laughs> you know, regular <laughs> characters are going to do that. Yeah, I'm not sure why that's part of the review there, but yeah, very positive review from Beyond the Final Frontier, which is quite harsh on Voyager um, a lot of the time. So yeah, that's season two of Voyager. We've done two episodes from season two, and we really got, you know, an idea of the gamut of... <laughs> We've run the gamut of the absolute worst to perhaps the absolute best and probably a Voyager in general, I think, this episode, not just of season two. Yeah, you, you can almost run your own sweepstakes as to the episode rating <laughs> for each episode coming up in season two. Yeah, that would, that would vary wildly here, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up this episode of Long Range Sensors. If you're enjoying the show, then you might also like Short Range Sensors, our free companion series where we bring things a little closer to home to take a look at Star Trek toys, books, games, and more. Plus, you can also join the crew to support us and get access to Subspace Live, where we hang out with our subscribers to talk about all the latest things going on in the Star Trek universe. To find out about all these great shows and more, head over to longrangesensors.com. And of course, telling a friend or mind-melding with them goes a very long way to helping us grow the show. I also host Console Shock, a podcast all about modern and retro video games, which you can find at consoleshock.net. And you can find out everything else I'm up to online by beaming over to my website at alistairmcfly.com. I'm at Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter. I'm at Alistair McFly on Twitter. And you've been listening to Long Range Sensors, where we've already started planning our own Vulcan rumory themed festival. Ooh.